pray for the men and women that are working uh, tirelessly, not only flying and battling the fire, but uh, those that are on the ground. We ask God that you would keep them safe and that, uh, Lord, for those that are in harm's way right now, we, we pray, God, that you give them peace. And I know there are Christians um, that I know that are actually uh, in, in the middle of this whole thing and they're struggling. And we pray, Lord, that you would just reach out and touch them and bless them. Pray, Lord, that you would just save our, our mountain communities and, and the, the threat, Lord, of, of the, dry, uh, hum, the dry atmosphere and, and the threat of fire. We pray, Lord, that you would just intervene. And, and tonight, Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that you would refresh us, Lord. Long, hot day, uh, things at work, things at home. We just pray, Lord, that we would get lost in your word, that you would uh, guide us and lead us and teach us, Lord, from your truth tonight. So we come to you and ask that your Holy Spirit would just make the word alive. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Tonight we're going to look at this section in Genesis chapter 9, uh, the last portion of Genesis chapter 9 beginning in verse 18. I've entitled it, The Sin of Noah and the Cursing of Canaan. And you, uh, I'm sure you're aware of these things, but there's some really great truth here. The Sin of Noah and all that goes on in his life. Um, as you recall, chapter 9, we've come to the place where Noah and his family, just eight people, Noah and his, Mrs. Noah and the, his three boys and their wives have, have landed safely in the ark. They've come off the ark, and they're the only ones alive. They have been saved through the judgment of God. The flood is the judgment of God against a sinful and wicked man, but only eight people survived the global flood of God's judgment. So they emerge from the ark and they see death everywhere. And then God, as you remember, speaks directly to, to Noah and his family, Noah and his sons specifically, and he blesses them and he gives them instruction for their new life uh, and, and makes a covenant with them. Look at that at verse 11. Thus I will establish my covenant with you, God says to Noah and his sons. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So God makes this covenant with Noah, and the question is why? Noah obviously knew what was going on, but why the covenant? Well, obviously, again, Noah and his family have endured a whole year on the ark. It had done something that never happened uh, the rain from the atmosphere, that they didn't have rain in the pre-diluvial time, the antediluvium period. And so the rain, so Noah maybe comes out of the ark and maybe there's a raindrop or maybe there's a cloud and he's fearful. And it's like, well, what's that? And is God going to judge me and my family again? And he's fearful. And so God makes a covenant saying, no, I won't do that. I I'm not going to destroy the animals. I'm not going to cover the entire planet again. And so I, I believe, again, he's afraid. God's assuring him through this promise that he makes. And in verse uh, 11, at the end of that there, never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. In other words, God says, no, I'm not going to do that again. Don't worry about it. There's going to be rain every day, possibly, wherever he was. Don't worry about the rain. It's going to water the earth. This is a new thing, and, and you just need to be assured that I'm never going to destroy the earth. So God makes a promise and puts a rainbow, verse 12, and God said this sign would be the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that's with you for perpetual generations. I set my 
bow or rainbow in the cloud, and it's a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. So again, this is God's promise, his evidence that he'll never destroy the planet with water again. Now tonight we pick up the story here in verse 18, and it's the sin of Noah. You might be familiar with this, but again, it's very, very important to understand that we're reading the book of beginnings. This is the beginning of the earth. It's the beginning of of humanity. It's restarting again, and at the very, very, very beginning of this restart, here it comes again. Verse 18, now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth, And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these whole earth was populated. So we have this population. God's going to repopulate the planet. And he gives us the names of the people that are going to be his sons. And then then their offspring. We'll get into that next week as well. But then uh, Noah began as a farmer. So Noah goes back to doing what Noah's always done. He grows food for his family, just like Adam. Remember, that was Adam's deal. Adam was a, was a farmer, and he tilled the ground. It was a part of the curse, remember. When you till the ground, it's not going to just yield food. You're going to work for it. And so here Noah is, and he is a farmer, verse 20, and he plants a vineyard. could be an orchard. Vineyard is the word used here. Then he drank, verse 21, of the wine and was drunk. And then he became naked in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and he went out and told his brothers outside, you should see dad. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it both over their shoulders, and they went backwards, and they covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see the father's nakedness, unlike Ham. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done. And then he said, cursed be Canaan. Isn't that odd? It was Ham that did this. But he curses Canaan. Now, you've got to keep this in mind through the story. This is going to come up again and again. I'm, I'm trying to point this out so that you'll catch the detail here. A servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servants. May God enlarge Japheth. So he blesses those two. He curses the one, but not Ham, Ham's son. And then he blesses the other two. Uh, in Japheth here, verse 27, that he may dwell in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. Remember, we went through that chapter that he died, he died, he died. And we saw all the death because of the uh, fall of man and sin. And now we see Noah <clears throat> who lived before the flood he lived through the judgment and floated over it, floated, floated over God's judgment, and then he dies. And so here's the generations are being completed for us here in this book of beginnings. But again, this Genesis is the story of the beginning, and this is the story of the how everything uh, was created, the universe, the earth, as we've read in the first couple of chapters, and then perfect peace and harmony, and, harmony, and then chapter three, bang. 
the sin or the fall of man, and we get separation from God. When God was with man in the first two chapters in his creation and enjoying that, then the fall of man separated everything, chapter three. Then after hundreds of years, about 1,700, 1,800 years, billions of people on the pre-diluvial world or planet, the antediluvial people that lived before the flood, billions of people, God looks on all of humanity, and instead of devotion and obedience and, and uh, uh, loving God and serving God, he looks at humanity and he doesn't see any of that. Genesis 6, verse 5, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. So God judged the world, wicked. He sees evilness. And without exception, there's only one righteous man. It's Noah. He was preaching righteousness. You guys, you need to love God. Stop sinning. Stop violating people. Stop, stop killing each other. You need to turn back to God. That's what he was a preacher of righteousness. Old and New Testament confirms that. He's the only one righteous at that time. And he has a wife, <coughs> excuse me, and he has three sons. And up till this point, we see that they're righteous people. God saves them, them and their wives, the, the eight, Noah and the seven family members. And here's the point. We get to this section of scripture, we read it, and we see sin, sin right away. Drunkenness, nakedness. There's a lot going on in the naked side. No visuals tonight, as you can imagine. But here's the point, and here's my first point here this evening. Sin survived the flood. Think about that. Sin survives the flood. You think that there's no more sin, right? God, God just dealt with it. He wiped out every living human soul except for those eight, and they were righteous. But were they righteous? Sin has corrupted everything and everybody, and sin now survives the flood. And so did death, by the way. We see death right away in this section of Scripture. So chapter 9 records this first flood event or, or, or post-flood event after the scriptures. Story of Noah's family, the story of Noah's sin, which it's really hard to believe. I mean, Noah, think about Noah. Noah's righteous, and he's the only righteous one. He was the only righteous out of the billions of people on the planet before the earth was destroyed by water. Noah's sin is recorded immediately after his life was spared from judgment. And this is really important for you to understand. Again, a, a real good grasp of Genesis. So good for you when it, when it comes to the rest of the scripture. Very, very uh, important for us to understand all of these things. So if Noah could would sin after being called a righteous man and struggled, what does that say about my sin? What does it say about your sin? What it says is we can't conquer it. We can't conquer sin. It's, it's going to get to us in some way, shape, or form. We just have to do our best to walk worthy. We have to realize that only in Christ is there forgiveness of sin. Because this righteous man Noah, I mean, I was just struck by that today. This righteous man Noah now is, is full-blown into sin here. That's, that's what's being reported to us. 
Whenever I hear about a Christian leader, a pastor, someone that, that's led in our nation for years, maybe radio or TV ministry, and then they fall, it just breaks my heart. And then it also does this. The finger comes right back at me and think, man, oh, but for the grace of God, go I. Every day I need to understand that sin could affect me. Every day. That's why I need to fear the Lord. That's why I need to walk with Jesus. That's why I need to read the scriptures. That's why I need to pray and be in fellowship and be around other Christians. Otherwise, I'm going to fall right off the deep end. And Noah is the perfect example of that. After walking closely with God for years, George Mueller, a great preacher, he prayed and was heard saying, Lord, don't let me become a wicked old man. I love that thought. Because it reveals some truth there that that we can be old and starchy and and that we can just be into ourselves and stop serving and stop loving and, and and then fall into sin. We need to be very, very careful as I grow older and older, I need to understand I, I need the word, I need prayer, I need fellowship, I need those things. But here's the bottom line here. There isn't any one of us here that doesn't face a struggle with sin. And here we have Adam. He's the poster boy for righteousness. <laughs> and we get to the end of chapter 9. It's just a short time, and here he is falling into sin. And so this, this story here is very important for us to illustrate that truth, that Noah walked with God for 600 years. He was called a righteous man. He stood alone as the only man on the earth that was, was righteous, and God rescued him. But it's, it's the man, Noah here, that, that not only launched the new beginning for, for the human race, I mean, it's from Noah that we come. Actually, Adam and Eve, and then, then through Uh, the line of Noah here, that we all come. We're all the same. We're going to see that next week when we look at the Tower of Babel, that that there's no different in in the oids, the human oids. There's all kinds of mongoloids and negroids and uh, all the, 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 what's the other one? Oh, there's so many oids. We're all the same. We all come from the same parent. There's just some different, different genetic, changes that have occurred, but we are all the same. Mankind is, is identical. We have the same. That's why you can have a, uh, you know, you need a kidney replacement. It doesn't matter who it comes from. It'll, as long as the blood type works, it'll work in your body. It's a, a fascinating thing that we've just learned in our own fellowship. But all men, women come from these same parents, and it was Noah. Noah comes and he has this struggle. He, he survived the flood because God saved him, and now we see that he gets drunk. Verse 21, then he drank of the wine and was drunk. And then he became naked or uncovered in his tent. Noah got drunk and he got naked in his tent. When there's other people around, I mean, he's in his tent here, but the family's there. And we're going to hear a lot of stuff about that and what that means, but, but you might be thinking, what's the big deal? I mean, in our culture... Nudity is, is celebrated. It's, it's huge. I mean, the less you wear, the more you liked, you know, in some cases. And TV and, and, and media, they promote that. But there's something going on here that I think every Christian needs to listen to and pay attention to. Because 
Number one, sin floated in the ark. And number two, sin walked off the ark when Noah and his family exited to start this brand new world. The effects of Adam's sin is still in operation. It was in operation in Noah, and it's still in operation in me and you. We just need to be very careful. We need to be aware of it. Paul in Romans 5 says this. Look at this verse. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, that's Adam, and death through sin, and thus death spread to how many men are sinners now? All of us. That's what the scripture tells us. We all are sinners. Now, this is the reason sin is so shocking and so disgraceful. And, it, and, and in Noah, it just makes, it, when you look at it, you go, you, you gasp. You go, oh, Noah, oh, gee, he was righteous. And look what happened to him. This story is what reveals the truth to us that even the most godly people are prone to sin. And as I read this today, I thought, Lord, help me. I, I just need to stay close to the Lord. If you, if you say something like this tonight, if you're reading the story and you go, oh, Pastor Lee, I understand that, but, but listen, if I was in Noah's shoes, I wouldn't have sinned. I mean, it, that's condemning Noah in a sense. If, if you're willing to do that, you don't even know your own heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Notice that. That, that's your heart. Oh, that's not my heart. That's somebody else's. That's the guy next to me's heart. No, that's every human heart is, has the capacity and the propensity to sin. We need to understand that. That's what this story really is relating to us. And when it comes to godliness, Noah was on the front line. Remember, he was right on. He was the most righteous man, at least before the flood. <laughs> because now he gets off the boat and look what happens here. I believe this story teaches, and I'll put this little saying up on the screen, past godliness doesn't guarantee future godliness. Think about that. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Maybe you've been successful, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or just a, uh, just a regular Christian walking around and you've, you, you stand for righteousness and you've done really well, but there's no guarantee for future godliness. We need to walk with the Lord. We need to stay close to God. None of us will ever develop an immunity to sin. None of us. We need to be careful. That's why, that's why it says in the scriptures, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One, the weight of all understanding. We need to fear the Lord in a, in a, in a way that, Lord, I, I just don't want to offend you. I, I don't want to disobey you. I, I want to be careful about all that I do doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how long you've walked with Christ, how, what your Christian maturity is, that none of that provides protection against temptation. Temptation comes to everyone, it comes all the time. We've been given what we need to defeat temptation. We went through Ephesians, remember? We got to chapter 6 and we saw how important it is for us to stand in the power of his might, to put on the whole armor of God. God gives us what we need to be successful. He calls us to walk worthy. So we have what we need, but we just got to stay there. Because no, if Noah can fail, then, then you and I can fail. So we need to look at this record. The, the sin of Noah and the cursing of Canaan is what we're seeing here. And it begins with Noah planting a vineyard. Look at verse 20. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a, a vineyard. So Noah's doing what Noah always has done. He's got to grow food. And, and 
So he plants a vineyard, and the result of a vineyard or an orchard, whether it's oranges or grapes, is juice, right? Juice is going to be the result of a vineyard or, a, or that kind of a, an orchard. In this case, it was grapes or grape juice. could have been apples or pear juice. It almost doesn't matter. But any kind of juice that you squeeze, if you squeeze fresh orange juice and leave it on your counter for about a week or two, Something happens to it, am I right? If you, this whole process of degradation, the whole process of things breaking down, second law of thermodynamics, things aren't getting better, they're getting worse, they're falling apart. And and this, this process of falling apart is part of sin. Fermentation is part of sin. It's breaking down, it's changing chemically, and it becomes intoxicating fermentation of all juice will eventually ferment and become alcohol. Some of it's strong drink. The Bible mentions strong drink or wine in the Bible many times in the Bible, sometimes in in a positive light, many times and oftentimes in a negative light. But typically the Jews, when they drank wine, and even today they would dilute it, and they used wine as kind of an antiseptic for their water. And that's, that's a truth, that's a fact. They didn't spend time making wine and making it really strong and then every night, you know, losing themselves like winos, you know, at, uh, over dinner. They, they actually used wine to clean up their water. In a, in, not all the time, but typically, they would dilute the wine or the fruit juice just to reduce the alcohol content. But Noah here in verse 21, he obviously knows all about this. He's growing grapes. He knows all about wine. He made himself some wine and he drank the wine, verse 21. One, he drank the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. That word drunk there means to be filled or intoxicated. So he drank to the point to where he was uh, intoxicated. And whenever someone is drunk, and, and I thank God that I just don't do that. I haven't done that. I, I have friends that do it. And many of you have shared some of those things with me that you've done it. And some of you have been addicted to it. I talked to a person just recently that, that is struggling with that, and they're in a program. Um, it's, it's, it's very, very addictive. But drinking to the point of drunkenness leads, one, to fewer inhibitions. You just, I mean, it's always, you get drunk, and then people take their clothes off. That's always what happens. I mean, think, if you think about it. I was, think, I was thinking about that, just people taking clothes off, but... I, but Whenever <laughs> spring break happens, they always show these young people that leave college and they, what are they doing? They're drinking, right? And then the more they drink, the less they wear. And pretty soon, you know, all these things are being shown. And so th- that's the normal progressions. You have less inhibitions because you're drunk. Drinking wine or alcohol never leads to a place you want to be, Christian. You might say, Pastor Lee, I have the liberty to do it. And I would say, you do. You have the liberty to do it. But just because you have the liberty to do it doesn't mean it's good for you, especially if you abuse it. When you abuse it, you're going to have less inhibitions. You're going to sin against God in some way. And here we have, we have uh, Noah. He's in a stupor of drunkenness now, verse 21. And he's lost all control, and he's naked. That's what the Scripture is telling us here. He's exposed himself. Now, a lot of danger in drinking, so much so that in the Bible, uh, 
in the Bible, I'm going to show you this. Dogs, why does he do this to me? Pastor Lee, you always do this to me because this is what the Bible says. For people who serve God in, in the Old Testament, and I would say you could even say in the New Testament, we're free from food and things, and it doesn't make you more holy if you do or don't. But, but I really believe the principle here in Leviticus 10, look at this, what it says here. It's for people that serve in the temple, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. Die, whoa, hey, oh. That's what the scripture says. God wants you to be serious. He wants you to have all your faculties when you come to serve him, when you worship the Lord. Lest you die, that's pretty. It was forbidden for those, those Jews that were serious about their commitment to God. Remember the vow of the Nazarite. They didn't cut their hair, and they weren't even to eat fresh grapes, let alone grapes that were uh, 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 turned into wine. Forbidden for all of those people. Proverbs 20 and 23, write that, those down. You can read, Proverbs 20 says, write the first verse there, I, I believe it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink's a brawler, and anybody who does that is just not wise. And that's always been my opinion, by the way. I can't forbid you from drinking, but I can say, if you want to play the fool, drink. If you want to be a fool, you drink. I, I just think nothing good happens from drinking wine. It's in Lamentations chapter 4 that reveals when people get drunk, they, they expose themselves. They lose their inhibitions. Look at this verse, Lamentations 4.21. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, who, you who dwell in the land of Uz. The cup shall also pass over you, and you will become drunk and make yourself. Notice, see what it says? That's the outcome of being drunk. There's some other I'm going to show you uh, later. But it always happens that way. People drink, clothes come off. That's what happened to Noah. Verse 21, then he drank of the wine, was drunk, became uncovered in his tent. And the implication here isn't that drinking is okay, is it? When you read this, you don't go, well, Pastor Lee, the implication is it's really cool. No, it's not. The implication is that it's sinful. Do you see that? So I'm not adding to the scripture here. I'm, I'm expounding it. I'm not trying to read into it. I'm just telling you what it says. And the implication, again, is, is that it's, it's wrong, it's sin. He got intoxicated. And then he disgraces himself by taking off his clothes. And, and just as Adam knew the shame of nakedness, remember, Adam and Eve were created in a perfect setting in the garden. They had no clothes, right? They're running around the garden. They're enjoying each other. The Bible says that they were naked and unashamed. They were created in God's image. God made them that way. They loved each other. It was a beautiful thing. They didn't have any clothes. And then Genesis chapter 3. The dis willful disobedience by, by Eve, as she succumbed to the temptation of the serpent, she, she eats the forbidden fruit. She shares it with Adam. He eats the forbidden fruit. And they look at each other. Guess what they did? They look at each other and what happened? They noticed something. You don't have any clothes on. Oh, that's exactly what the scripture says. They, they saw that they were naked. Now, so there's something important here. There's a point here that, that I think the scripture is making. All of a sudden, they saw their nakedness, and every twisted and perverse thought of their wicked heart comes alive. 
And they, they're shamed at what they see and what they think. And they look at each other. And, oh, before they looked at each other, it was perfect. It was okay. But because of sin now, they, it's, they're twisted. And they, they see each other and, and they, their shame overcomes them. They don't want to see each other. So you remember what they do? They, they must have been standing next to a fig leaf or a fig tree. It's, figs have bigger leaves than other plants. And there are some big ones. They grab them, they sew them together, and they cover themselves. Remember, that's what they did because they were naked and, and they did something about it. Before the fall, look at this verse here, Genesis 2.25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were unashamed. But after the fall, their minds were bent. Their minds were corrupted. They had sinful thoughts. They didn't have sinful thoughts before. Sin brought this corruption in their minds, and now they have these sinful thoughts, so they covered themselves with leaves. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Their eyes were opened. They saw their shame, their nakedness. Once was, they were without guilt, but now they, it's a source of shame for them. They, they can't face each other. They've got to cover themselves. And then God, in his grace and mercy, guess what he does? He kills an animal, and what does he do with the animal skin? Covers them. It's God's design here, people. God wants us to cover ourselves. How much to cover? I mean, generations, and, and there's all kinds of, of uh, people groups that do different things. I, I, I'm not willing to put my foot there. But, but I do believe that God wants us to be covered Nakedness brings shame. Clothes cover shame, and they protect purity. And throughout Scripture, God commands us to cover or clothe yourself. Here's a great Scripture in Exodus 28. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thigh. So God wants this part covered. And there was other covering, other covering Scriptures too. So going back to Noah. Noah gets drunk, laying in his tent naked, that's his sin. That's what is being described here. And then, to make matters worse, his son, Ham. And here's my next point. Ham disrespects his father. Ham is immoral. He's, he's, he comes with his father on the boat. But, but there's some, he's dealing with sin himself. Verse 22, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and then he went and told his two brothers outside the tent. So he goes in the tent, sees his father naked, and then he comes outside. Now, are these little kids? Are these little children? These are 100-year-old men. And remember, they're living for many, 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 many years. And although they're not married at the time of the ark, they could easily be 100 years old. Noah's over 600 years in the story. So... His sons, you think about it. Even if, you're, even if you're 20 years old, you know your, your dad pretty well, right? These guys knew their father. They knew what was right. They knew what was wrong. And that's the point here. So what Ham did was that he looked at his father's nakedness, and it, it amused him, and he started to mock his dad. Ha, <laughs> dad's in there all drunk, and you should see dad. Look at dad. He's all drunk, and, he, and he's naked. I saw him laying there in the t tent. He went and told his brothers, hey, guys, you want, to, you want to know something funny? Dad's in the tent naked. 
his disrespect for his father's nakedness reveals something about his character. No shame. He's immoral. In contrast to sinful Ham, notice the brothers. Notice the difference here. Look at verse 23. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, they laid it on their shoulders, and they went backwards into the tent and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So this text here gives us really great detail about how these brothers carefully put this garment over them and they walked in backwards. They didn't want to see a thing because they knew something about nakedness and about God and about that's not right. Again, the the scripture is very clear in this story. It's Ham who does what's wrong. He mocks his dad and he says, hey, did you see dad is naked? The other two brothers, oh, Ham, that's, uh, that's the worst thing you could do. You're, you're shaming our father. You're disrespecting him. And so they go in. They say, you're out of bounds, bro. And they go in there and they cover their father's nakedness. They, they honor him. And then in verse 24, notice Noah wakes up and he curses Canaan. This is interesting. So Noah woke from his wine, from his stupor, and he knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. Now, this is the first inference of Canaan. And interestingly enough, in the story, he's not even born yet. Okay, you've got to keep in mind who is writing this account. Who is it? It's Moses. Moses lived way, way in the future. Moses, in one glorious week, he happened twice. He goes onto this mountain twice and meets God. But, but one week he spent with God, and God dispensed to him all the information to write the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And so Moses has this inside information from the Lord. So he knows that. Now he's writing this account of Genesis. And as he's writing it, he has this supernatural information from the Holy Spirit that he gives. But first of all, who is Canaan here? And you have to go to Genesis chapter 10. Just look over at Genesis chapter 10, verse 6, and we have the sons of Ham. Here's Ham's son. So between 9 and 6, he gets married and has sons, and here are their names, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. So Canaan is the son of Ham here. But the question is, why does, does uh, Noah curse Canaan instead of cursing Ham? That's, that's really the, the question here. Again, we have Moses who is writing. Now remember the whole context of Moses' writing. Moses is raised up during a time where the children of Israel are in Egyptian bondage, Pharaoh is misusing them. They've been there for 430 years. God raises up Moses to deliver his people from that bondage. And after he delivers them from that bondage is when he goes up to the mountain. God gives him 10 commandments. God gives him the revelation of the scriptures. He writes the Torah or the Pentateuch. And in these these first book, God promises, one of the things that Moses is recording in the Exodus is that God has promised the people that are in bondage for 430 years a promised land. Remember the promised land? 
They're promised this special land, and, and this is a covenant that God makes with Abraham. And so, uh, during these 40 years of wandering, after they're, they're, they have the exodus, there's 40 years because of their disobedience, they're wandering, wandering around. You can in your mind picture the Sinai Peninsula, the Red Sea. They're wandering in, the, in that, that desert area there. And as they're wandering around for all this time, um, people were promised, these people were promised a special land, but God wouldn't let them go across the Jordan into that land until the last generation died, as you recall. But they were promised this land, and it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you remember the name of the land they were promised? What was it called? Canaan's land. Sunday school, we had I'm going where the rivers are flowing. I'm going where the grass is growing. Remember that song? I'm going to Canaan's land. They sing that back in our show. I used to sing it to kids 25, 30 years ago. But Canaan's land, it was named after Canaan. And remember the people in the land, the Parasites, the Hittites, all the people that don't exist anymore, they don't exist. Why don't they exist anymore, the people of Canaan? Because they were wicked. They were they were the worst people on the planet at that time. And this land that God had promised his chosen people, Israel, the Jews, he said, I'm going to give you that land, but I'm going to send you in that land. And what, what were the children of Israel to do to the people in Canaan's land? What were they to do? They were to destroy them all. I know this sounds really hard. This is the truth. God commanded the Jews to 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 kill every one of them. Every person in Canaan was to die. Again, this is the judgment of God, and God is using the children of Israel to mete out his judgment, just like God used rain from the sky to flood the earth and wipe out the wicked. And so God uses, as his instrument of judgment, the children of Israel to wipe out Canaan, those, the Canaan land, the people that lived there, the descendants of Ham through Canaan, all of those descendants. And God uses, again, in his divine fight, in his wisdom, he said, I want you to go wipe them all out. Now, did the children of Israel kill all the Canaanites, did they? And, and that was a problem, wasn't it? Because those people, those people were, they, they were battle after battle after battle after battle because they didn't obey God. But God wanted all those people, all the descendants of Canaan dead because he promised his people this land. And in your mind, again, you can see the land, it's Israel. And, and it was uh, as Moses, uh, Moses, pardon me, dies and leaves the scene, then it's his, his uh, brother Joshua who takes the children of Israel across the Jordan River. They go into the promised land. They get to Jericho, remember, and they do their march around this. The walls fall down. They take Jericho, and off they go. They start, start marching, and the, God divides the land. It's all, always about that land. That land's very, very important to God. God promised it to Abraham. He said, I'm going to give it to you. Wherever you put your foot, it's gonna, you're going to own it. But the land's really important. It was called... Canaan's land, and the people there were descendants of Canaan. They were wicked. They were, they, they were corrupt. So God judged them, just like he judged the pre-Diluvian wicked people, Genesis 6. He saw the intents of their heart, only evil can He sees the heart of the Canaanites, and he says, I want them all wiped out. And he's going to use Israel to mete out his or carry out his judgment. The problem was, again, they didn't eliminate those people, and then they started intermarrying, and the corrupt 
Canaanites corrupted the Israelites through their idolatry and sensual practices. It just corrupted the people. It was really bad. Um, God told them what to do. They just did not obey. So we have to go back to this story, this account here in Genesis 9, to see who these people are. They're the cursed descendants of Canaan. That's why it's important for you to see this and understand this because it helps bring context when you read the book of Exodus and understand what God wanted. When you read the book of Joshua, when you read these other books in the Bible, it helps you to understand what the whole purpose was, what God was trying to do. And again, the Canaanites were wicked people. Ham's sin shows us that our sin, which may not seem big at the time, can have huge implications and far-reaching, far-reaching. I think about parenting, and, and I, I, I think about parenting and my own sin and my own wrong and how it, it continues. And, and it's going to continue and it's going to keep going unless I do something about it. Parents, your words are strong. The things you do now, they have a great implication on the future. Ham's sin shows us that. A little sin in your home can become a flood to destroy your family. Now, getting back to Noah's drunkenness here and his nakedness, it led to Ham's disrespect. And Ham's sin led to the corruption of the Canaanites who practiced the most wicked and vile things. They they were just a wicked people. The curse of Canaan again here in Genesis 9. Noah awoke from his wine. He knew what his younger son had done. And then he said, verse 25, Cursed be Canaan. That's why it's in there. That's why it doesn't say Ham. It's Canaan, because you need to understand who he was. So Ham, he's, he's, he's righteous because he, he, he rode the ark, right? He, there was righteous elements. He was a believer in God. But he had this corruption as well in him. God had declared him and all the other people on the ark. He declared them righteous. But when... He was delivered from the judgment of the ark when he got off the ark. Ham was righteous that far, and then sin took over, and then he followed it. He continued to do it. Ham was righteous, but God's disobedient child, if if I could say that, Ham was given grace by God, and instead of judgment, he escaped the flood. That's who he was. But his sin corrupted his son, and his son corrupted a whole group of people, the Canaanites. And so that's why Noah curses Canaan here. So why not curse Ham's other sons? What about the other ones? There's Cush, Mizraim, and Put in Genesis 10, verse 6. What about the other, the other boys? Well, I believe there could be that they were righteous, that they believed God, that it was Canaan that didn't believe. That's why he got cursed. And God looks in the future and he knows. He sees it all. And that's why we have that curse there. God, whenever God cursed somebody or something, it was a forever curse. In Genesis chapter 3, God cursed the serpent, as you recall. In Genesis chapter 3, God cursed the woman. And then God cursed 
the man. And we all live under that curse, don't we? And then God cursed the ground to make it difficult to gain food. But here in Genesis chapter 9, it's Noah. It's not God. It's Noah. Interesting. Another interesting thought here. Noah is cursing somebody. I believe that it was God directing this whole thing. Again, God is involved. He's, he's working all this time. And God is directing because he knows about Ham and his family. He knows about Canaan and the outcome. And so Noah puts a curse on Ham's youngest son here in the story. And the Canaanites, again, they were wicked. They rejected God. Very sensual people. Their whole society was, was, was um, pictured as uh, corrupt and sensual. And for that, I want to show you. You've got to see this. Turn to Leviticus. Turn to Leviticus chapter 18. I want to show you all of the inferences here to this sin, which is uh, characterized, this lifestyle that the Canaanites had is characterized by, by nakedness. These people, they were corrupt, they were sensual. Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18 at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt. So they used to be in Egypt. You shall not do, and according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I'm going to bring you, you shall not do. Don't do those things. Don't follow those people. Don't, don't, Don't do what they did in Egypt. Don't do what they were doing there in Canaan, specific direction there. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinance to walk in them. I am the Lord, your God. You shall therefore, verse 5, keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach anyone who is near kin to them and uncover, notice, his nakedness. I am the Lord. Verse 7, the nakedness of your father, the nakedness of your mother, shall not, you shall not uncover. She's your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife, you shall not uncover. It's your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter, the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, the nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughters, your daughter's daughters. Wow, a lot of nudity going on in this. It it just keeps going through this whole chapter. And there's homosexuality described. This is the society of the Canaanites. In the land of Canaan, there was a plain, a vast plain. And there were two cities in this vast plain. One was named Sodom, and the other was named what? Gomorrah. Those depictions, that's what the people were like. The Canaanites were wicked people. They were sensual people. They were known for their nudity. That word nakedness, by the way, appears 24 times if you... Take the time to count there in chapter 18. And here's what God wants for his people. He wants you covered. He wants you to preserve that. It's a shame to look upon another uncovered. I know there's men in here that struggle with pornography. You've got to trust the Lord. In our society, we're a a sensual society. There's pornography. 
pornography, there's sex tra- trafficking throughout the world and, and in, in the United States. It's celebrated. It's really celebrated in our nation. And I, I just say, how long, O oh Lord? It shows where we are really as a generation. We've, we, we're gone. And God's going to bring his judgment, but we have Christ. See, as Christians, we don't have to worry about that. So don't, don't fear. And don't, you've got Christ. You're saved. You don't have to worry about those things. You come to the Lord. You confess your sin. He forgives you. Guys, if you're struggling with any of those things, you go to the Lord. And we'll take a moment tonight to go to the Lord and confess privately those things. But going back to Genesis 9 now, go back to Genesis 9. It was Ham's laughing at his dad's nakedness, mocking his dad and his nakedness. And now his son, Canaan, is, is been judged. His son has been cursed. All the generations that come, this immoral nakedness thing going on. And notice, it was hundreds of years later that God would judge him. So God doesn't go right back and just judge him right away. They lived for hundreds of years. And then God finally brought judgment. It was God's hatred of this specific sin that brought judgment against all the people of Canaan's land. God looks at sexual sin very, very harshly. I, I know some pastors, as I've said, that have fallen into that. And I just, whenever I hear that, I just go, oh, Lord, my heart hurts for them. I, it can happen to anybody. Listen, if it can happen to Noah, it can happen to me. Pray for me. I pray for you. Let's stand with each other. Let's, let's stand up with one another because it can happen to any of us. We need to walk worthy. Ephesians chapter 4, walk worthy. We need to stand in holiness. We need to encourage one another. But, but we're not going to end on a negative note here. I want you, let's go to verse 26. Noah blesses Shem. So he cursed Canaan, but now he's the blessing. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant as well. So Shem and Japheth's action of carefully covering their father's shame, not looking at him, going in backwards with a, with a cloak over them. Their fear of God, their respect for their father, Noah pronounces a blessing upon them. So, so he, that's the story here. You have the sin of Noah and the curse of Canaan. And then we have the death of Noah at the very end. This is really Noah's legacy. It's kind of sad when we get to the end of his legacy in chapter 9. Uh, it's, uh, it, he was a righteous man, a preacher, and then he ends kind of on this sad note. But, but at least there's a blessing. There's a curse on Canaan and a blessing for the other two sons. But let me just ask this question in closing. How prone to sin are you? How, how prone to sin are you? In other words, are there things that you're very, very weak in and that you're very prone to, to do, to see, to watch, to step into, to go across the line? If it was true of, of Noah, it's got to be true of you and I. We need to be so careful, Christians. God is not so concerned, and you've heard me say this before, with your happiness. 
And you'll go, you can go to churches all over town, all over the world, and it's all about you and how good you are, and you're a king's kid, and God loves you, and he wants you to dress good. He wants to give you rings and money and all these things, and oh, you're so good. But I fear for those people because they're going to struggle with the same thing Noah did. I would rather say, Lord, you know what my frailties are. You know what I struggle the most with. Father, protect me today. Lord, keep my eyes and my ears and my mind pure. God, help me to walk in holiness because it is not about your happiness. Life in Christ is not about you being happy. Life in Christ is about you being what? Holy. And if you're holy, you'll be blessed. And that's a joy that comes from the inside that you don't manufacture by driving a car you can't own or wearing a suit that costs way more money than you have. Oh, I'm a king's kid. Look at my ring. Look at my clothes. I, I'm loved by God. I'm, I'm a victor. I can do everything in Christ. It, I hear those people say that, but they're, they've just eliminated the truth of the holiness of God. Be careful, Christian. If you're prone to sin, you need to be careful. Be fearful day by day of, of falling into sin. That doesn't mean we hide and cower. I, I walk around with my chin up, but I'm like, Lord, I... Oh, I shouldn't look at that. And oh, I better not. Lord, I, I stand before you pure. I want to be pure in the things that I do. We need to walk in holiness. Jesus came and he delivered us from our sin. Here's the closing verse, 2 Timothy 4. Notice what it says. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. As long as I stay in the Lord, as long as I keep my my, my, I can't keep my salvation, but I can keep my head in the book. I can keep my, my, uh, me and my family praying. I can keep my, my uh, holiness and, and know what purity is and walk that way. I can do those things. And I know that God's going to deliver me. He's going to deliver me from every evil work. So, Father, teach us, I pray, by your holy word. Teach us from this wonderful book, of beginnings. Help us, O oh God, to understand that if Noah could sin right off the ark, Lord, how much more can we? And Father, I'm thankful for forgiveness and I'm thankful for the righteous place that I, and I am a, a child of the king. I don't deny that at all, but Lord, I, I want to have a healthy fear realizing that I'm prone to sin and prone to wander and I ask God that you would work in our hearts tonight to bring us back to that place of holiness. And, and right now, with your head bowed and eyes closed, and just, just with a sigh of, Lord, forgive me. Ask the Lord to forgive you for whatever it is that you struggle with. Lord, separate these men in this fellowship from the sin of looking at other naked bodies, Lord, the pornography. Separate us, Lord, from that. Deliver my brothers and sisters from that. Take away that desire. Take away the, the mechanics, whether it be a TV or a movie or an internet. Lord, take it away so they can walk in holiness. Lord, help us and forgive us as we confess our sin. Your word assures us that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we want to be a holy people. 
We want to be separated for your good work and for your glory. Do what you will in our lives today. Deliver us from those things, Lord, that dishonor you. And Lord, may we walk worthy. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.